0: Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everybody. Uh, today, we are going to learn from one of the top experts in the world when it comes to beauty marketing in China, Julian Reese, who is the founder of Super, Super Ordinary. Uh, welcome to the show, Julian. Thanks
1: so much, Connor. It's, it's great to be here.
0: And I am really excited about today because I feel like China is one of those uh, areas where if you're not in the middle of it, it feels like a giant question mark, right? There's just so much going on; it moves so fast. Um, I'm pumped. I am really, really excited for today.
1: You know, it's 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 exciting to be here, Connor. I mean, I think you know you and I go way back, and um, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of a nod because I remember when you first started Tribe Dynamics, and I was like watching you build this business, like. And watching earn media value and KOLs and followers in the U.S., I was like, huh, maybe there's an opportunity to do that in China. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you.
0: (laughs) Oh, for sure. Um, And just for those that don't know kind of what Super Ordinary is. Um, you know, you guys are, you help brands to launch in China specifically, do the kind of uh, end-to-end distribution, marketing, all of that. Um, and you've had fantastic success, right? So you guys launched Supergoop, Drunk Elephant, Pharmacy, your revenue's up 300% year over year. Prior to that, you founded Skin Laundry, Castle Bay Capital Management, Pagoda Capital, um, all with, it seems like you know, the tie to APAC is kind of there across a lot of these businesses. So something that you've gotten really experienced in. So for those that don't know, it's a, uh, your track record, super impressive.
1: Thanks so much. Um, yeah. So yeah, my background really stemmed from finance. Um, you know, I think at the age of 26, I got the bug, um, I was sitting at the trading desk and thinking to myself, well, you know, it wouldn't be amazing if I could start my own, like, hedge fund and move away and do it myself. But, um, I've always had this entrepreneurial bug and I think that the common thread between everything is, you know, just thinking very, very big picture um, and macro and, um, you know, beauty is one of the most interesting big macro plays when, because it does well in a, an up cycle and does well in a down cycle. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had a really exciting time in my career and, um, but you know, I feel a super ordinary is, really, um, at the precipice of a very big, um, shift in the market.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it just seems like such a big opportunity. I'm, I'm definitely jealous of your business. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I, one of the, um, so I want to hop kind of current topic, you know, in the, I listened to your interview with beauty matter, which was great. And this is about, you know, almost a year ago now. And one of the things that you talked about was, Um, You know, if you're not in China, it's going to be tough to do it in a year, right? Because there's all of these native brands coming out of the Chinese ecosystem that are really growing quite quickly. Like I've heard about Perfect Diary, and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about China. And I've heard about their kind of fantastic growth. So have you seen that kind of come to fruition since you did that interview, kind of these Chinese brands? And how has that affected uh, your own distribution strategies?
1: Yeah, I think my view was always that, the China beauty market, the Chinese beauty market, was always going to be this like monster of a market that's going to grow, and like any any market in the world, whether it's fashion or food or c- consumer and pets, you know, there's always going to be a dominant force within those those categories, but there's always room for the ancillary players. So in fashion, for example, um, luxury is always going to be being bought from. Um, Italy, from France, um, and from these markets, and to that point, with beauty, I always felt that there 's always going to be a category where um, aspirational brands coming from overseas there 's always going to be a marketplace despite the growth of these domestic brands. To answer your question, um, these brands domestically have been growing like out of sight um, the local brands. Are, uh, are excellent at localized marketing. I think if anyone thinks that Chinese can't market, then they're wrong. Um, we've seen <laughs> we've seen like incredible brand collaborations, things that you know we. Uh, Sometimes nonsensical to us, so you know it's not uncommon to see a beauty brand do uh, a brand collaboration with Kentucky Fried Chicken, or or you know <laughs> with a bubble tea brand, um, and you know so I think it's really exciting to see how they grow their brands, and um, mm-hmm. and they're very much in touch with the 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 younger consumer. So yes, those brands are taking a lot you know market share away from a lot of the foreign brands. Um, and, and to my point earlier in the beauty matter article, it's, you really have to be and have your finger on the, <coughs> excuse me, your finger on the pulse to really compete head to head with those brands.
0: Who, who should we be paying attention to there? I mean, again, I heard. I don't know the, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think Perfect Diary is valued at several billion dollars. Are there other brands we should be paying attention to? Do you see it actually moving the other direction? Like, do you see Chinese brands trying to make, uh, you know, a footprint internationally at all? It doesn't feel like that's happened yet, but.
1: It, I think it's it's slowly happening. Perfect Diary now, if you look at the Instagram pages, you can see that they're localizing their Perfect Diary Philippines, Perfect Diary Malaysia. Perfect Diary has a presence now on Amazon. Um, so they are starting to do international growth. Um, and you know, we we may at super ordinary start to look at bringing Chinese brands overseas to overseas markets. Um, that's mm. something that we 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 think we're in a, a very good position to do so, um, and and across all categories, not just um, skincare and color, but you know, within um, perfumes and um, and also in personal care. So that, that's that's a really good point, Connor, because I think we have to like watch. Because the Chinese traveler and the Chinese um, consumer, whether they're studying at universities in the U.S. or they're living domiciled here, that population, uh, you know, you don't have to go far out of L.A. or New York City to see large Chinese
0: populations. So I think that's a
1: very interesting
0: opportunity. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it on the apparel side with uh, Shein, right, which is a Chinese brand. Yeah. And that is supposedly at like, I think, $11 billion in revenue now. And, um, you know, they, I, I, I think in the U S historically, you've got a lot of, you know, made in China, right? Like yeah. something that's produced there, but the brand isn't from China. Right. And that's I think right. that's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays. Cause obviously, you know, um, um, and these are smart people that are building these brands right there's and the u s is a big juicy market that to 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 go after
1: absolutely I mean you're right you like look at some of the sporting brands leaning and and so forth these These companies are massive look at any of these um and you 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 can look at even the beverage market the mal market um and how big that market is outside of china um These are some of the most valuable
0: companies in the world these days yep, yep. So, I know one of the bigger shifts that's happening right now and that you're going to know a lot more about than I know about is the kind of changes in animal testing, um, you know, with regards to bringing brands to market Mm. in China. Can you talk me through what some of those changes are? Just because I don't, I don't know them super intimately. Um, and then potentially how that affects, you know, the choices of a brand, right? Whether it's more cross border or going direct, like, how does that influence things?
1: yeah so as of may the first there 's been some changes in um the, the the process of bringing your products and registering your products into China. Previously, um, you know, products coming into China w- would have to undergo um, some form of animal testing, even though we wouldn't know exactly what they would do according to each of the products. However, um, as of May the 1st, there's been a directive that would allow products to enter into China if they, if they pass what we would call their ingredients are on the waitlist, so they, they've been sanctioned in China. So whilst animal testing has gone away, it, your products still need to undergo um, and the key list need to be supplied and registered onshore. Um, that process can take anywhere between six months to two years to register your products, just depending on the complexities. Um, typically, you know, special co- cosmetics um, are uh, the ones that can come through, are usually the more generic products. but. You know to so far today it's it's more challenge it's still a challenge to get registered products because many of the ingredients aren't allowed still um and yep. obviously complex products like like spf and things like that are much more challenging so the, the routes to get into china still in my view have been changed cross-border is still the primary challenge uh, channel that we should focus on um just yep. because um You know, the consumer's already been trained in his mind that these products are coming from overseas and these products are authentic. They are um, well recognized um, and they're coming directly from the brand. Because to open up these um, channels on um, Alibaba, you need to have all the certificates and, and authentication to be able to
0: sell those products in the local markets. For those that are kind of less sophisticated when it comes to the cross-border process, which I could even throw myself in that bucket, yeah. like how is that different? Like how does the cross, what is like, what are the steps in a cross-border process? I'm yeah. a brand and I want to sell in China, whether it's with you or on Anyone. my own, how does sure. that
1: work? So um, the cross-border channel was set up to allow brands to enter the Chinese market without having to register onshore. Um the the you know the Chinese government set up this channel so that um, consumers can buy products. So let's say for example um, you wanted to buy products, but there's a certain cap on how many products you can buy per year. So there's mm-hmm. a cap. So let's call that. Um, I believe it's around just over under five thousand US dollars. So you, there is only a certain so much that can go through that channel. Um, so what happens is there are these warehouses that are set up throughout China that are bonded warehouses where your products will be shipped into, and then when only when the consumer purchases that product online, does it get picked, picked and packed, and sent directly to the consumer. But the consumer would have to enter in its the equivalent of your passport details so that everyone can track what's being bought by who and how much. Um, But it's a nice way for the product, you know, the consumer to first discover your product because they know that when they go to Timor Global or one of those cross-border channels, they know um, that this product is a, a foreign product. Typically, mm-hmm. the consumer knows what they want to buy, so because it's quite a lot of effort. So when they go and find, you know, the Supergoop unseen sunscreen, they've probably heard about it through Austin Lee, and they know where to go and collect it from. So it's it's really, um, you know, that's how the process works. So you know, at Super Ordinary, as we we build these brands up through a variety of channels, and the ones that you obviously um, are most familiar with are the live streaming and the influencer channels. Um, we'd see a very strong correlation in understanding how that process works. Um, however, you know the data available to us in China is not as you know readily available as you, you see in the US so you know I think you you and I both talked about tribe dynamics one day coming into China uh, <laughs> which may still be the case hopefully um, which really helps us analyze you know the influencer and earn media value because I think that type of data is still very hard for us to, 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 to grab onto.
0: Yeah, I mean, China would be a massive market for us given our, our kind of brand footprint. You know, we're big in fashion, big in beauty, big in, you know, luxury, uh, which are all do. I mean, it's the biggest category for luxury. It will probably soon be our b- biggest uh, country by sales for luxury probably will be for beauty um, in the not too distant future. So, mm-hmm. It would be massive and I'd love to work with you on it. So yeah. that's part of the reason I brought you on the podcast let's, is to bribe you into working with me. <laughs> let's, sh- let's shake hands. <laughs> I'm down. Um, well, let's let's take a step back. So I want to hear a little bit about kind of that journey to founding Super Ordinary. Like yeah. what made you think about the opportunity? Like how did your background in finance lead you to that point? Sure. Um, just for those that, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like to see what the entrepreneurial journey looks like. and Yeah. Uh, yeah so tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, my path to where I am now is definitely non-traditional. You know, I started my career as a trader in New York City on Wall Street, working at JP Morgan. Um, I was a derivative trader, um, which is basically analyzing yield curves and very mathematical. Um, And that really kind of like brought me into like understanding like how, you know, big markets work with each other, like interest rates and foreign exchange and commodities. And that always tweaked, um, piqued my interest about like how to think about the world. Um, you know, I started my first hedge fund when I was 27 um, and I ended up selling that to um, Paul Tudor Jones of Tudor Capital and building his business in Asia. And you know, I had a lot of early successes in my life, which was really got me into really thinking bigger picture. And and I think um, anyone that knows me knows, I'm, like I'm always a dreamer, um, and I'm always thinking about the very long term. Um, and you know, to, to to a fault, because I think it's really important to to dream when you're an entrepreneur, because it makes you think. You know, makes you think that you know life's exciting. Um, And um, that put me into a a number of positions in my life. So I've I've had three hedge funds in my life. um, And my last one, which was Castle Bay, um, which was, um, you know, just managing just under a billion dollars under management. Um, And and then I found myself in a a very interesting place in my life where I, I was actually bored of what I was doing. Um, and In 2011, um, I, I um, was looking at investing some of my own personal capital and I found this opportunity to distribute beauty brands in Southeast Asia called Luxola um, and that's got me my first entry, entry into beauty. Um, and within two years, you know, that business got acquired by LVMH to become um, Sephora's digital business. And um, you know, I thought, wow, what an interesting model that, you know, you could actually see these younger brands grow and expand and 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 cosmetics and commodities and beauty has always, you know, been similar to me. So it's, it's really a, a trading um, opportunity. So, you know, I use what I learned in trading, which is really understanding, you know, big data and try to apply it to beauty um, very much how you think about things too, Connor, because I think. You know, how we make informed decisions is really about, um, you know, reading, reading the tea leaves and understanding about where things are going. Um, so I, you know, after um, Luxola, I um, started a brand called Skin Laundry, which was, you know, a physical business, you know, disrupting the traditional um, spa business, which um, I thought there was a, a way to do a better offering. Um, so I moved to the U.S., um, started opening stores in, um, America now in London the middle East and Hong Kong. And, um, you know, I, I was, went back to Hong Kong to open stores there. And that was when I stumbled upon this opportunity, really looking at across, you know, uh, across the channel to see, you know, this massive opportunity that a lot of the brands that I found in the U S weren't available in, um, in China. Um, and that's how super ordinary started. So I moved to Shanghai and, um, I, I put myself above the, the Instagram of China, which was Little Red Book, and I basically rode the elevator trying to make friends
0: <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> and, and, and realized no one wanted to be my friend. And so I just um, <laughs> ha- hung out at Starbucks and, and, and you know, kind of dreamed up this idea and um, ended up um, hiring a few people and, and, and just gave it a go.
0: One of our earliest investors, uh, we... We knew him, right? We're connected to him, but not closely. And, uh, he was giving a speech. This is Brian Sugar, who's the CEO of Pop Sugar, Mm -hmm. and, um, which he sold recently. And, uh, he was giving a speech, and we were gonna, you know, bump into him after the speech. And then he takes off early. And I was like, oh God. It's like, John, you have to go. And he, like, beelined it to the elevator to then run into him at the elevator. He's like, oh, hey, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) So you gotta, you know, you gotta do that at the early stages and uh little red book was a good one to do that with what little i do know that's been explosive in terms of its impact both uh, and specifically in kind of the beauty and fashion categories if i if my knowledge is correct right
1: yeah it's you know little red book is one of these interesting um hybrid models between um instagram i would call it it's it's hard to put a you know put it in a, into a box but um, you know, they, they build their communities and, and if you want to work with an influencer, you have to work with one of the influencers that they promote. So mm. it's, they've, they've done a the closed model where, um, you know, they have their, what we call these MCN agencies that manage these influences. So if I want to work with an influencer and, you know, I want to work with you, Connor, and you're not part of that agency within the little red book, I can't work with you. So they've closed it off. Um, And there's been several iterations over the years to watch how it's grown, but it's, um, you know, that's been a model that's, um, has been, you know, interesting to watch because I think what the Chinese do so well is that they, they learn how to iterate very quickly and figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, But yeah, my, my office was literally, um, um, you know, an elevator away from their main office. and. I used to run down after we used to run a campaign and, you know, talk to them and, you know, show them new products. And it was was really very much a hustle back then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome, though. That's such a, I mean, you know, people underestimate kind of how much of a role that kind of stuff plays in the early days, right? Like. Because you start to build community around your business, right? Yeah. And like you build people that want to support you and that yeah. get really excited about seeing the progress you've made. And that yeah. those people end up playing a much bigger role than than I think f- folks realize. Um, that's super cool. Well let's talk about so I want to hear about some mistakes. So, you know, yeah. where did you when you first started Super Ordinary, yeah. where did you kind of misread the tea leaves, right? Were there any areas yeah. where you're like, ooh, I thought that was gonna be a great idea and you yeah. know, just wasn't uh, wasn't there?
1: I mean, there were so many mistakes. Um, you know, I, I think I think, I think um, you know. My first real mistake was having a pre, um, you know, I would say a, a, a view of how to build a business in a local market when I had no local experience, and and having being arrogant enough to think that you know you know what to do, rather than sit down and just listen and listen and listen because I think when you're working with different cultures and, and I, look, I, I should know better because I've lived all my life overseas and from Thailand to Singapore to Hong Kong to Paris and I, I feel like I've, I've really had a life learning of, of how to work with foreign foreign people and understand the culture. But China is very different um, and, it, and it's the hardest market that I've ever had to tackle personally um, on the many fronts. But I feel that um, it's all about... Getting respect from your colleagues, um, your employees, your partners, your brands, um, and getting that respect so they trust you. Um, because at the end of the day, money is not what motivates, um, you know, most people over there. In my view, I feel like they they trust you because you're driving this this ship. You're leading them into the abyss, and they want to believe that you're the guy they they're going to bet on. And I think that was the um, one of the things that I learned was really, you know, spending time with my employees, my partners, and just convincing them that, Hey, you're, you know, I'm the horse that you need a back and, and we're going to do this together. Um, in the beginning it was hard because I was hard because I look, I didn't speak the local language and, um, and I'm, you know, I've got no, um, I'm not embarrassed by it because, you know, I, you know, I think it's very important to be transparent, Um, but what I was willing to do was put in the hours to really work with them. So in the beginning, I think it was hard to get, um, the team culture to, to gel. Um, and that, that caused, um, you know, problems because, you know, you know, how do you get people to work late for you if they, if they don't feel like they're part of the team? So I almost had to do a reboot after six months. And the way I did that was, um, just really making sure that, um, you know, from the get-go, that everyone joined the company um, was very much aligned with the overall view. So, you know, we we have close to 300 people in the company now. Um, and, you know, we've grown to probably four or 500 at the end of this year. And it, it's trying to get that culture to be very strong. Um, is very important. So that was, that was one definitely a learning point. I think the second point was, you know... Uh, believing that you know better about what brands to bring into the market than other people. Um, just because you think that the brand's strong in in one market to believe that it will do well in China is, is, is the wrong approach. And, um, you know, I wish we had, you know, um, companies like tribe dynamics over there who could really help us understand, you know, what the acceptance is for certain brands. Um, and it's not easy. So, you know, there's, you know, so we, we installed like a, a process and a framework to analyze brands now so that, um, you know, we test brands on every level, working with KOLs, our influencers, the sub distributors, you know, platforms, um, you know, as everyone in our office gets to look at it and touch it and give us feedback. So gathering that level of data, even at the granular point, has really become a way for us to learn rather than, you know. Julian saying, Hey, we really should try Connor and Julian's baby face oil and, <laughs> and sell it because we, they think it's good, you know? So it's really, um, that's, that's been another learning.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it seems like for you, that brand selection process is like a super important component, right? Cause you have limited, you know, finite resources like anybody has. Yeah. And so you want to kind of back a winner, right? Um, you'd mentioned that, uh, kind of coming in with some existing brand awareness was another signal for you guys. Yeah. How do you, how do you visually see that? Is it, does it just show up as people kind of selling the products themselves individually? Like how do you assess the kind of brand awareness component? Um, yeah, Yeah. how does that work?
1: So, um, Historically, we kind of had a few rules that we played by that kind of give us some sense of where the the brand, and to your point, signal signals a very good word in this case because you know we we're looking for signals all the time whether it's in, an ing, an ingredient signal, a brand signal, um, an influencer signal that kind of like um, alerts us that hey you know pay attention um, for a brand um, to enter the market um, with zero awareness it's. Challenging because you know how how do you build something from zero in a market which has you know one and a half billion people and growing? So we typically look for brands that are doing um, some t- traffic on Taobao, which is um, one of Alibaba's platforms, which is a it's more of an eBay style platform, but it still you know sells luxury products. Um, and the reason why they're operating there is that typically these there are DAIGOs or, or people who would travel overseas buy the product and sell it onshore um and that number we typically look for is around a million rmb so you know around 160 170,000 US dollars worth of volume on that channel before we would look at it um, that's 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 kind of like our the first flag that we had Um, Mm -hmm. But also we look at social, have social listening tools that we look at to see, you know, if a brand's mentioned, if there are any posts on Little Red Book um, and that kind of, we look at all of those, we index it and kind of give ourselves, you know, does it, is there some movement or velocity of that brand in the market? Um, Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, great tools to work from, but so we do end up having to take a lot of bets on brands. So typically, you know, we, we like brands that are doing between 50 to $100 million of revenue in their home market, net sales, um, because that kind of tells us that they want to have the infrastructure to support uh, an, an entry into China, but also have the, the financial means to, to potentially invest behind it, because brand marketing is becoming increasingly important. Um, to support you know the overall you know brand assortment and brand growth so those are the kind of things that we think about but obviously we the most important is the product has to work and that's when we do a lot of that product testing um in the first couple of weeks
0: yeah that makes sense um so talk me through, I mean, we've talked about a few different platforms here, right? Mm-hmm. For those that are kind of really new to the Chinese market, like, what do I need to be aware of, right? Both the e-com platforms yeah. and the kind of more the social platforms. And I know social and commerce are blended a bit more in China yeah. than they are in the U.S. Yeah. like. What should I know about? What are the ones you know, and even kind of prioritize? What are the most important? Yeah. What do you focus on? Sure. I'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, so I think anyone who's you know listening and thinking about China, the ones that you should know um, and be most fluent in would be Timor Global. So Timor Global is your your cross border channel into Timor, which is Alibaba's largest platform. It's the equivalent of Amazon. Timor Domestic is. If your products are registered in China, that is the platform that you can sell your products on, also. That marketplace is generally a lot bigger. I would call it um, probably three to four times larger than Timor Global. So, obviously, the holy grail is to be on both platforms, and you can be. Um, um, so, those are the two major platforms. The second one is Taobao, T-A-O-B-A-O. So, Taobao is a platform that looks and feels and interconnects with Timor. It's also owned by Alibaba, but that platform generally services different tier cities in China. So, there's tier one to tier five cities in China, um, and typically, Taobao services you know tier two to tier five, even though... Um, you know, t- people in tier one would use it. So all the functions and um, you know um, different um, you know live streaming channels will all appear on these different channels. So Tmall has a live streaming platform. You know, you can look up any product and you'll see a live streaming um, icon which you can click on, um, which will take you to a live live streaming about that product right there and then. Um, Taobao wow. does the same and. And I think um you know I can talk to you about this forever because there's so much to talk about, but I think yeah. those are the those are the first two platforms and then little Red book I would say is is the third most important for um any brand going to the market so those those three would be the main focus
0: very cool, very cool, and what I know you had mentioned that you know that has taken on kind of live streaming specifically has taken on a bigger and bigger chunk of the total pie for you guys in terms of yeah. revenue. Yeah. Right. Going from, I think you said 10 to 40%. How has that changed now that, um, you know, obviously things have, have fully opened back up in China for quite yeah. a while. Have you seen that shift back? Like, and how has that altered your own kind of marketing and distribution strategies that, that big shift?
1: Yeah. So live streaming is becoming, like this ongoing, growing, um, channel that is not slowing down. Um, you know, just to give you an idea, um, the top two live streamers, um, via and Austin Lee over, you know, the 1111 sales, which is, you know, the black Friday sales, yep. um, via just herself did 1.4 billion us dollars over 10 days. Um, <laughs> So,
0: what? <laughs> so yeah, that is a mind-boggling number. In One point. How how many? You said in ten days. How
1: many days? Ten days. So, so I don't 100, know. How, 100,
0: over hundred million a day. That's yeah, pretty
1: good. I don't know what the commission rates are over in the US, but um, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> um, Austin Lee did um, north north of eight hundred million, um, and um, I think this market is getting like out of control how big this live streaming channels can go. And and it plays very much into the culture of how people consume products and consume entertainment. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of investors and um, private equity guys who are looking for what's the U.S. equivalent of that. Um, and, you know, that's an ongoing discussion because I don't think, you know, in the U.S., even though we're, you know, HSN and QVC are such important TV shopping networks, um, the Instagram and the younger consumer does not, you know, engage with live streaming the way that the, the, the Chinese do. And um, I think, um, you know, there will be challenges for a lot of these new live streaming platforms that are occurring in the U.S. to try and mimic what's happened in China. Um, and so so there's a lot of dollars sitting on the sidelines for putting waiting to put money into these platforms but in the U.S., but I think it's a very different model. Um, But yeah, for us as as a business, how we think about it is that, you know, we always think from where is our consumer and then reverse engineer of how we get to that consumer. Because I think historically brands sometimes think, oh, um, you know, I'm a brand. I need to be on, you know, Fifth Avenue or Madison Avenue. And that's where we're going to sit because that's brand positioning. However, you know, your consumer could be sitting, you know, in the Midwest, in Chicago, And if you're not servicing that consumer, you're missing out. So we think that whether it's live streaming or Taobao, or Mall or Amazon, wherever we are in the world, we have to be where the customer is. Um, and we have to bring the brand that we're representing in its best light possible to that customer to give that very rich experience. So Super Ordinary has always been, you know, that's how we think um, rather than trying to tell the consumer, you have to go here to buy your product.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, people try to force that. They're like, oh, my, co- my consumer should be here. And it's like, no, you just got to go where they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think um, culturally, the point that you make is like, Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, because our parents' generation was so big on QVC, HSN, it's made it so that the younger kind of U.S. consumers, like, you know, that's not where I want to be, right? Because that's where my parents were. That's right. And so I think it's made it, like, people keep waiting for this breakout kind of live streaming event to happen in the U.S. like it did in China. I just don't, I don't know if it ever is, or at least not, I don't see it happening. Um so let's talk about, you mentioned a couple of the big KOLs, right? Which are, are are obviously, those numbers are eye-popping. But, you know, you guys work with tens of thousands. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and a lot of those, I would imagine almost all of those are small, right? Smaller yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, KOLs, which yeah. KOL is also influencer, right? Key opinion leader. Yeah. Um, so talk me through kind of the tactics that you utilize there. Yeah. You know, what size is your team? Like of the 300 people, how many yeah. are dedicated to it? I mean, I've heard that... Yeah. Perfect Diary has got a hundred people dedicated to influencers or KOLs. Yeah. Um, so like how big is the team? What are some of the tactics? Do you guys gift them? Do you run affiliate programs? Is it events? Like how does that, how does that function?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely work in progress. I mean, our team is close to 20 now that work with over 40,000 influencers either directly or throughout through agencies. Um, we started, um, you know, you know, four years ago by trying to understand, you know, how to pick an influencer, um, as you obviously, you know, have been working on many years now. And I, I think what we've realized was that, you know, there is just that every single day, there are so many new influencers entering the market and you can never keep your tap, you know, onto them because they're, um, you know, the market's always changing. Um, and then, you know, the strategy, which, you know, you've seen in probably a thousand pitch decks of a, a pyramid of the macro influencer, the mid, mid influencer and the, the smaller KOLs is not dissimilar to in China as well. You know, the micro influencer is really where a lot of authenticity is, is found. And, um, and what I found in beauty um, is that, you know, beauty is very much segmented across products. Category. So, you know, someone who talks very strongly about a toner may not talk about a moisturizer. So, you know, I think we've what we've done at Super Ordinary is collected a lot of information about, you know, who's talking about what, you know, what's the return on investment from that influencer, um, and you know how how those influences change over time too. So, we've managed to like collect a lot of information. So, when we do work with a brand, um, what happens is. We have 24 brands in China um, that we work with, and I'll influence influencer team of 20 people um, get RFPs every single day from each one of our brand leaders, and they would go over and say, hey, Connor, um, I've, I'm launching this new vitamin C serum, and you know I need to have a strategy that will allow us to grow this brand to x over the next six months so our team will go out and really think about this carefully about like what's the strategy how many influencers we'll be using it's a paper play um society so there's no free seeding programs um so unfortunately you know it is very expensive um and that those prices change daily um and the commissions that these influencers ask for are very aggressive too. So it's not uncommon that they will were, were ask for, you know, 30, 40% of revenue to, wow. um, which really makes it challenging. But these influencers, if they convert, it's definitely worth it. Um, so I think, you know, live streaming, in my view, for example, and I, I put that into the same bucket because it's creating awareness. I mean, what you're trying to do is, you know, think carefully about like what the kind of growth you're looking for in your brand and then is is that growth sustainable? You know, if you if you do ten million dollars in year one, you know, is it realistic that you do twenty million in year two? Because brands can't grow without strong brand marketing behind it, so that people can fill in you know, that connection with that brand. So it's almost better to take the slow approach sometimes in a market like China because that will create much more longevity. Because if you mm-hmm. want big growth, you be prepared that you have to invest very, very heavily behind the brand. Um, you know, it's, you know we, it's not uncommon that we're spending 30 to 40% in marketing. Um, you can see Perfect Diary spending north of 70% on marketing yeah. dollars. So. It's it's, an, it's it's
0: absolutely insane. It's it's <laughs> insane.
1: It is insane. And um, like
0: where there's only so much, you know. <laughs> yeah. In the yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I call it a high stakes poker table where you sit around a poker table and everyone's playing, you know, Texas Hold'em. Like, okay, I'll take you out. No, I'll take you out. <laughs> but it's 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 um it's I mean it's, it's exciting at the same time
0: absolutely what do you think you I mean you talked about this kind of pay for play and um you know and i've heard that before right that there's just this expectation it's different culturally like any work that you do together there's expected to be some kind of compensation involved regardless of you know um so what are some of the other kind of big misconceptions about the that brands come in with and say hey i this is how i did it but kols actually don't operate that way in china What what have you learned about that specifically
1: um I think I mean first of all the biggest misconception is you know when a brand comes to me and says oh you know I do this much money in revenue in the US with three hundred million people and the to- and China's one point five billion the total addressable market's that much bigger so I should be doing this I mean that's <laughs> that's that's the biggest misconception but I would say that working with KOLs, um in China requires a lot more um, education um, because I think. Um, you know, the, the KOLs, you know, you send them products. Remember, they don't know diddly about your brand in the US. They have no access to Instagram. They have you no know, Facebook. They're getting this, this, this product that f- comes into their hand and they're just like, well, what do I do with it? Um, you know, and why is it so special? And they don't know if it could be, you know, the best face cream in the world, or it could be just something that's just been concocted recently. So, I think education is it takes a long time and I think what we've found is that the messaging has to make sense to them so that they can repeat it time and time again because you hear it once you hear it twice you hear it three times that's the kind of um so we have to work very carefully about creating those taglines the hashtags the the naming conventions of your product so that it, it resonates with the local consumer so that, I guess that's what also what Superordinary really focuses on, making sure that you know when we do deliver it to the KOL, they do know exactly the three bullets that they have to say. So, you know, unless you, and, and that's some of the things we do is make sure that unless you, you've got to tell them how to take their photo shot, what to say, when to say it, and when to post. And if only if they do all those things, do they get paid? So you've got to really, um, it's much more handholding, I would say, in that in that market.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, I've got one last kind of fun end of show question. (laughs) So, you know, when we, when we sign the contract and we are doing business together in China (laughs) and you're helping me out and I come to, and I come to visit, what is the first, the first restaurant in Shanghai Uh, that we need to go to? Oh, there's, there's
1: so many. Um, you know, the, the, you know, food in China is like incredible to start off with. Um, but the one I would take you to first is a Shanghainese crab restaurant. It sounds super peculiar, but it's, it's a hairy crab restaurant where the crabs okay. are hairy. But they, and you, it's, a, it's, a, it's an annual event where the crabs actually have QR codes on them. So they can, so you can use your phone on the crab and you can take a snapshot and you can figure out where that crab came from. And it will blow your mind. But um, <laughs> I will take you to that restaurant. Um, but you definitely get try a lot of the Shanghainese wines and um, a lot of the liquor there. I think um, you'll get a pretty nasty headache, but you'll have a lot of fun.
0: Uh, that sounds awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking out the time, Julian. I know I learned a lot today, and um, I know you know for those that are interested in entering into the market, it's such a like I said, such a big question mark. So being able to get even a little bit of guidance is is super helpful. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time and for for uh, striking a deal live yeah. on the podcast. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Connor. I was, so, I was very happy, and congratulations to all your success. Thanks, Julian.
0: Right, Take it. Bye. Bye. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com